0: G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. Right so today on the show we've got not one but two guests and I just don't know how to describe these fellas. Um, I guess one is a IT expert from the UK, the other is a retired foreign exchange trader. <laughs> um, I think they've been described in the media as celebrity analysts Senior ministers have said they have a very funny podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think we can safely say I'm in dodgy company here with Andrew and Matt from Ag Watchers. It's very dodgy. Welcome, very fellas.
1: Dodgy. Thanks for having us, man. The dodgy bit's not the Ag Watchers. The dodgy bit was episode three, I think, referred to as the, the biggest dodgiest
2: company out there. Well, look, I, I see that as a badge of honor mm-hmm. when, when it comes Same. from a green senator. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this is this is it's not not the first time for you, Matt. You've been on loads of podcasts. You've been but, on a few as well. No, nah, this is one of the first times I've been on a podcast. Really? As a guest. As a guest. No one invites me to start. You like, nah. You've you've been when? on a couple you've been ah oh, ages ago, a year or so ago or something. Yeah, like once. Once maybe. Yeah, I've been on two or three. That's it. Oh, you're first on one. you're on the weekly grill every month.
1: Oh, that's right, I forgot about that. Yeah. All right, okay. Yep. Anyway,
0: seasoned professionals is what I'm hearing.
2: I mean, I'm
1: not sure. Uh, so we seasoned. It's, we're pretty, I'm seasoned in terms of my pits on pepper hair color. That's about right. seasoned. Uh, right, uh, Matt, Matt.
2: I'm a is fair bit younger
0: and just you know the audience can't see us, but you guys yeah. can.
2: It's not. It's not mm-hmm. our podcast, Matt. So mm-hmm. just stop interrupting and let's mm-hmm. get on to so Mark could do the sixth sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 Have you seen my run sheet? <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> well, you've, ruined my, you've ruined my bit about intellectual theft here. Oh so. <laughs> uh, god, this has got very silly very quickly. Um, serious. Right, all Right. well, so yeah, you, you you are familiar with this concept then. I, I guess you guys have been listening to that same podcast I have. Um so we'll kick it off with uh carbon markets.
2: Oh, who too? Both, because we, because the funny thing, we never do a podcast with two people, Matt. Do we? Oh, very rarely. I think we've never done Six Sense with two people. No, no, right.
1: not since we've been doing that Six Sense. Uh, but yeah. you, you say Carbon Marcus was the Sixth Sense. You are actually doing the Sixth Sense with us? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I would say um
2: risky. I'd say immature. I'm not talking about Matt.
0: Well, I think it sums up the whole show here. Mm. Biodiversity markets, then.
2: Absolutely immature. Almost at a fetus stage, almost at the sperm and egg stage in maturity. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: that was a very long answer for,
1: I'd say complex.
0: Right.
2: Eh? Oh, can uh, I just, can I actually, before we continue, can I just ask something? What about expletives on this podcast? Go for it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying we will, but Matt's got a well, tendency. Um, we're not
1: Jillian fennel after all, so we might just keep our language nice. Yeah. Yeah,
0: we, we wouldn't want complaints to, to episode <laughs> no. three and Ag Watchers no. hate <laughs> you. Speak to my boss. Um, certification schemes, ISCC, that sort of thing.
2: Necessary evil. Uh, paperwork. God, I'm liking Matt more and more. <laughs>
0: um, what's that? Is it four, three? That's
1: that's three. I'm I
0: three. Two ways, you ways.
2: Can't hard. It's hard, isn't it? See, people people, people say all oh, this podcast and <laughs> things easy. It is oh, hard. Geez. Parliamentary privilege. Fucking wankers. <laughs> 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 um, weak weak as piss. Bloody <laughs> and twice as salty. Um, gutless, 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 gutless action. <laughs> Shit bag shit baggery of the highest order. Come oh. say it to my face. Anyway. Or just pu- or just publicly. Just right, it Matt, publicly. Matt. Yeah. Right. It's we're not yeah. Bob Cutter. Yep, that's it.
0: <laughs> oh jeez. Well not, not having it, I'll reserve my comments. Um oh, that was four, wasn't it? Yep. 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 Good. Good. Uh favorite band.
2: Um Radiohead. Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, you're so cool, Matt. <laughs> uh favorite band. It's a hard one for me because I like a lot of music. But I'm gonna go with my all time favorite band. Prodigy The, the Prodigy. The Prodigy. The choice. Mm. What do Don't I sing?
0: Even... Don't think I've heard of them. I've probably uh, heard them. Uh,
2: Firestarter, it... Smack My Butcher it... Up. Uh, Breathe. Breathe. Breathe was a, a big one in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, Um, but fantastic band, fantastic music. Used in soundtracks a lot. Um, just good music. I've listened to them since I was a kid, and it's the only band that I sort of have listened to all the way through. Yeah, right. I could have said something cool like Radiohead, but mate, Radiohead, cutting edge.
1: I was I was teetering between Radiohead and Pink Floyd, but I I went Radiohead because Pink Floyd makes me sound too old.
0: Throw yourself, and and read, Jeremy read, read, read Clark's like... an age bracket there. It's
2: yeah. right. Up.
0: Um last one. last one. Seems you're selling your high 2nd like, secondhand car market. Where's you at? Well, Expensive.
2: Expensive. Like really expensive.
1: Yeah. I would say uh tight supply. <laughs> it seems to be a whole it's 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 gone crazy since COVID, hasn't it? That that particular market.
0: Hasn't and changed. hasn't and
1: hasn't and hasn't settled back.
0: It's been a bit while like I bought new because I couldn't afford second hand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well that's why I'm I'm trading in mines and buying new. And well, a
1: Tesla. He's going he's up he's, he calls me the greenie, and here he is thinking about a Tesla, a Tesla, their
2: Tesla's not green. The Tesla's as green as bloody a diesel. Use a cobalt from the Congo you buy mined by slave children. So <laughs> it's not green. Uh, it's like a blood diamond. It's a blood diamond of the <laughs> car world, I reckon. Anyway.
0: And I've got uh, a m mo- I've
2: got a motorcycle as well, so that takes away my green credentials. Uh,
0: gonna cease and assist from anyone in he, a second.
1: And he rides around he rides around Canberra on a single what are they uh, fixed, is, A fixed, have, a fixed wheel bike or whatever. No, that? Fixed, I don't have a
2: fixie. Fixed gear. Yeah, that's it. I've got a bike with two gears. So it's not actually a fixie, technically. It's still a hipster bike, though. I was going to say, like a penny farthing or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He, he used
1: to have a penny farthing, but he traded that in because it—he it, it kept his peak cap get flowing off in the wind because he was so high up. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's very good. That's very good, Matthew. <laughs> uh, Matt, you're embarrassing us both. Gotta look at the rest of us.
0: Hello. So, I touched on carbon markets earlier. Where, where do you think that is in the moment? Where do you do you see? Where do you see it going?
2: I say, again, like I use the same example, like Necessary Evil for the, what was it, ISCC and different sort of traceability protocols or certification protocols. Um, Carbon markets are a necessity. I don't believe that, I don't really believe they do much to protect the environment, if I'm completely honest. But they are something that has been mandated. Governments around the world want them so they are going to be forced upon us so it's we can't argue against them we can't lobby against them so you just got to accept them what i would say though is that um at the moment the government's trying to encourage people to in farming to effectively sequester carbon and they're offering money basically yeah the government's the biggest buyer of them effectively Uh, and government dictates the supply and demand of carbon. Nobody's really doing it. If we look around the country, yeah, there's carbon getting sold, but how many farmers do you actually know that are measuring, storing, and selling the carbon? you two-fifths of bugger all.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know of any. Um, and because, and like personally, I, I don't want to know.
2: <laughs> yeah, but... What I see this is where I see the issue is at some point the government's going to say, right, we've tried the carrot approach by giving money. Now we're going to use the stick approach. And I reckon it'll be 2030, 20, 2031, 20, around about then, where the government will come around and they will say, right, farmers have got to measure the carbon, and farmers have got to store the carbon and they've got to account for the carbon. And it'll just be a case of you're not going to get paid for it. Or or it's going to be mandated that you do it, then you sell it onto the market, whatever. But I just think it will become more and more mandated as opposed to being a voluntary system. I, I personally, um, I think it's an absolute dog's breakfast, the entire thing. Um, we wrote a report on it that was, we won't talk about that. Um, hmm. But when you look at the actual numbers of them, if you look at the risks involved in them from a farmer's point of view, it is insurmountable, the risks. Like you say to me, Martin. Yeah. Like I used to be a grain trader. Yeah. If I said to you, "Oh, Martin, uh, sell me some H two wheat, H one wheat, for delivery December twenty forty two, and I'll give you three hundred fifty dollars a ton." Now, fuck it. Actually, I mean, oops. I mean, uh, you can edit that. Out. Uh, I'll do what you want. I'll give you four hundred and fifty dollars a ton. What are you going to say to me?
0: Yeah, nah. And, and that's where I'm at. Like I've been burnt with grain contracts. I don't know three months out. Like who doesn't do the barley one?
2: F- three months out. That's yeah. fine. But thirty years. <laughs> and no. what happens if the what happens if the government sort of changes its policy? But
0: yeah, like, and you know, that's a, that's my other big risk.
2: I
1: think I, th- I think though it's, it's even though there's issues with the market that's problematic. I think it's it's a good thing that we are. Uh, accounting for it right um and whatever product you're you're making that that you know i think as a modern economy we've gone past the industrial revolution days where in the early days it was you know the just general pollution that was pretty visible obviously this one's invisible to a degree but it is if you believe the science it's, it's it's having it's going to have massive impacts as we as we continue if we don't do anything about it so we do have to account for it and and make a value out of it and, and, and allow it to be traded so that it can be managed and uh, hopefully reduced over time. But, but, you know, the market in itself that we've got in Australia is because it's so um, new and, like Andrew described, immature. Uh, that, and, and also there's a lot of players in the space that I, I wouldn't describe them as overly sophisticated in terms of how, how markets operate or markets like this operate with long-term contracts. That means that people can
2: come in and take
1: advantage very easily. I reckon um, to the people of, that aren't aware.
2: I see yeah. there's a lot of players who are pretty sophisticated in the carbon trading area.
0: Sophisticated in snake oil. And I am yeah, well, not, well, not, not the not the not farmers the farmer side. Of that, right? yeah. no, and, no. And so
2: like, here's a question, like for for you, Martin, because you're an agronomist. Yeah, you've got an Yeah. background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carbon price today in Australia is $32.35. And if you're sequestering, let's say soil carbon, yeah? Yeah. I've been told that if you were to go by the actual science, you could probably sequester about half a ton per hectare.
0: That's total, you're talking? Not total. yeah,
2: Per year? Oh, per year. Righto. Possibly.
0: Yeah, it's so, still less than a fallow spray, 15
2: bucks. So 15 bucks. And Bearing in mind then you've got to take 14 Let's call it forty percent. Let's call it third. You got to take a third of that fifteen off and give that to the broker. So we're talking seven dollars. Yeah, about that. Yeah, about that, seven, eight, nine dollars. Is that worth the effort? God no. And no. That's what well, I, you imagine. Yeah. But, but, mentioned... but
0: the other the other angle here is like, say we're like we're looking at buying a cow block and uh, increasing the productivity. So say we, we buy a block that uh, runs a hundred cows mm-hmm. and through like it's not great soil, they haven't done much with it, native pastures. We put in high-performing pastures, yep. fertilise it, you're going to get more growth, you're going to get more carbon sequestered, but we're not in it for that. We're in it to double the carrying capacity, which I'm certain would then be running a net negative on carbon emissions. And I just I can't help but wonder how badly these sort of programs are going to limit productivity and... Well, you're not going to be compensated for it. You're just going to be slammed.
2: Well, I've I've always but had are, the analogy are, with carbon and emissions, in that food is a necessity, necess, a necessary product, it's a necess, necessary commodity that we need to eat. And I don't mind about the clothing bit because I'm happy to be a nudist. Um, but the a, reality is nice Canberra weather for it. That's that's the reason why it's so small. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's cold all the time. Um. But if we've got those sort of products that are creating emissions. And let's say let's say let's say cows do create a lot of emissions. We use that as an argument, yeah. I sort of see, well, so does grains. Grains produce a lot of emissions, nitrogen in the atmosphere, all that kind of stuff. So does um, energy production and transport. And they and to the extent they're necessary as well. But hmm. why are things like you know, you go to you go to coals, you go to Kmart, whatever else. It's full of absolute rubbish plastic tat. Like plastic toys that will get used for, you know, three days after Christmas, and then they're going to bin. Fidget spinners, whatever it may be, yeah? And then I sort of think those are the things that should be highly targeted for emissions. You should be looking at them and saying, okay, here's my theory. Everything should get a rating system based on its value to humanity. Here, I'm, a, I'm a very socialist here, but <laughs> it gets it gets a value. So say, let's say, for instance, I'm looking around to see if I've got anything. Yeah, I'm not. Um, uh, but something like a fidget spinner or whatever that's not really required has a value of zero. A stake has a value of five. So the emissions from the zero get taxed more than a five. And, and I suppose even to an extent, you're right, Matt, like a lot of transport, there's a lot of unnecessary transport like mm. how many people go around the world on holiday five six times a year
1: to to attend the cop28 um yeah.
2: <laughs> what about like when you when you
1: mentioned about the marketplace itself and the brokers that take you know something like 30 40% of the of the fee yeah so you imagine, I, I want to make an
2: announcement on this podcast well the, the AP you free imagine, carbon brokerage is open up tomorrow with uh, brokers fee of only 28% yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah but you you imagine if you had the same thing where you were selling your cattle at an agency or it's, you know, online or where you're selling your grain somewhere or whatever and and 30% of the value of that sale went to the actual broker. Like, what? how is that possible in a market that's in, yeah, if it's efficient market that's working well, you shouldn't be getting that level of charge uh, for the service.
2: And you tell me, like, this is the one thing, like, what shocked me most about it, yeah, was going to listen to these people and they say, it's no risk it's money for jam basically oh, I've been there yeah and it's nonsense for st- on stilts like the reality is that if you look at any market there's a risk in it and for somebody to say there's no risk in it that's cool I don't believe there is any risk in carbon markets for a broker <laughs> and 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 that's the, and that's the reality of it is that and it's the same in anything like an agent doesn't take on really any risk a grain broker doesn't really take on any risk and a carbon broker doesn't take on any risk they clipping the ticket on the way through but that's where if i was working with somebody in that carbon aggregation space i'd want them to a either be charging less or if i'm getting that kind of fee i want them to hold on to some of the risk of that but let's, let's say like last year here's a good example yeah i think it was last year it might have been a year before uh when did labor come into government was it last may
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I so know what it, you're talking about. I know what you're referring to here, yeah. So so
2: all of a sudden, I think Angus Taylor decides just a couple of months before the election to allow a bunch of people to resell for a second time the carbon credits they've already sold.
0: Does a so, little um, little favour for the boys on his way out.
2: So then what happens is all of a sudden the supply of carbon credits increases and the market crashes. So at the flick of a pen... The government can change it. But they could also turn around and say, right on mate, the ice cream industry, you must account for your credits because it's not it's a, it's a you know decadent thing. So now all of a sudden the ice cream industry has to pay for their carbon credits, all of a sudden there's an extra demand for carbon credits. But it could be anything, it could be agriculture. And that's where I think the biggest risk is that like grain is grain. There's a buyer, there's a seller, there's a supply, there's a demand. On The carbon markets, there is no demand for carbon credits. There is no natural demand for them. If we were to set up a market just now and there wasn't any government involvement or any government mandates and said, oh, guys, we've got all this carbon, there would be no demand because nobody wants it unless they're forced to do it.
0: Markets with no demand, that leads perfectly into biodiversity markets. (laughs) Who is buying them?
2: Well, look, Again, I think it's important that we look after the environment. We look after biodiversity, but none of this is about biodiversity. Like it's about koalas and orangutans and nice, the cute ones. Well, look, it's interesting because they say, okay, we're going to cut down this bit of forest and we're going to create another bit of forest somewhere else. But it's not going to be exactly the same. It's not going to have the same animals and. When you unnaturally make a natural environment, it's not going to be the same. you go to, like you go to a zoo and jimmy the lions in there. Okay, you can make it as close as possible to the savannah, but it's still a lion behind a plate glass window. It's not natural. So I don't think about the diversity markets. I think it's a dog's breakfast. I think it's a way of trying to shuffle money around and make it look good.
0: I, I see it as something that a lot of people in government and finance want to see happen government because they want to be able to say they're doing something finance because they want to find a way to clip the ticket. And really there's no buyers. There's no sellers, even if it is just residential development, that's such a limited market. There's no way that's ever going to be something that the average farmer is in on.
2: Are you tell me how you price yeah. it. Are you me how you, Sorry, Matt, but you tell me how you price it. Carbon. Okay. Carbon's carbon. One tonne of carbon, you can you can measure it. Good mm. example is the pig industry. Yeah, you can have those effluent ponds. You can have a meter on it that measures exactly how much methane is coming out, and you can actually say this: we've sequestered. You know, today we've sequestered five point seven tons of methane. Blah 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 blah. But how do you measure biodiversity, like accurately and data-driven wise? Like we've got six not-nosed lizards. You know, and what's what's more valuable? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. How do you
1: sign? How you sign value to different aspects? Because because in an ecology, in a healthy ecological system, biodiversity is key to that, right? But it, having it, having the ability to measure and value it objectively, I don't know how you do that, and then well, to and then to create create an actual working market based value on it, I know, I know and to, like any market needs to have what they call a standardized product, right? Um, mm. It has to somehow be so. So like Andrew was saying is what's the ratio of if you get some kind of a biodiversity credit for one of a better word or whatever you want to call it
2: koalas <clears> to Eastern browns yeah what's the what's the ratio
1: how many how many how many eastern browns uh, make up one koala or you know like or how many koalas make up one Eastern brown depending on your view on ecology and sciences and but, that. but
2: then then you've got the other thing as well the other thing I'd say as well but the markets that they're talking about in into Australia for biodiversity they're very different to the carbon markets carbon market you know, the actual sale of it tends to work a bit more like an auction based system, but and it's mandated. So the government is saying, you know, heavy emitters have got to buy X amount. Of, they've got to cover the carbon uh, emissions with the biodiversity market. It's a voluntary market. So I, I had a discussion with somebody from one of the, you know, one of these sort of industry bodies, and they were very into this and they believe it's a great thing. And they said, oh, but, you know, and I said, well, who's going to buy them? I said, oh, but, you know, Coles and Woolies might buy them. So, yeah, they might. But they also might decide that, oh, actually, people are not buying any more of our caged eggs because it's biodiversity. Because we've got a certificate to say we're biodiverse. Like, how do you actually relate how much somebody spends in Coles and Woolies? And how do you assign the value of that biodiversity? Yeah, it's pretty cool for, like, the first time you can say, oh, we do this, but. It's
0: BS. You only need one credit to say you've done it. Yeah. If you're accidentally talking plural, you got to buy two.
2: But then you're also like, okay, you might do it for the first year, but you don't have to continue doing it.
0: Hey, you've already ticked the box. And that's that's the thing. Like I'm hearing the same feedback as you when I ask why people are going to buy this. Like, well, shareholders are going to demand it. At the end of the day, shareholders <laughs> care about profit.
2: And shareholders don't understand it either. No. So just so you know, the agwatchers podcast is uh biodiverse
1: mm-hmm.
2: because i left my window open last night and uh got a couple of ants in the house A bit so, of mosquitoes. And mosquitoes so we're sort of biodiverse environment and i've got a plant so i'm carbon neutral it's half dead but still got a plant but, um, it was you know you... the thing is i left it to die because it's natural because <laughs> if i gave it water it'd it be, be a man-made for... intervention yeah.
1: Yeah, you make an ego system for other animals to live in the the dead
2: product there. On, in the- and just just to announce another thing, we're setting up EP 3 ESG in the next couple of weeks to help help corporate businesses get their ESG credentials. But no, but in all seriousness, there is an importance to companies doing the right thing. Mm. But I think there's a race to do the right thing by doing something that is half baked. Or virtue signaling. Signal. There's plenty, plenty of stuff businesses can do, like Rio Tinto don't need to go and clear forest or whatever. Blow up heritage sites. Blow up that kind of stuff, yeah. Although technically they got permission for that, apparently. So I think they did, yeah. Um. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, but going back to it, there's a long-winded sort of tangent there, but going back to, I think the carbon markets are going to be something we're going to be forced to do. I, I wouldn't touch them. I wouldn't. I would not sell the carbon credits at the moment mm. because I don't think the price is worth the, the hassle, and I wouldn't be in a rush.
0: No, I think baselining is probably not a <laughs> a bad idea unless, of course, you're planning on doubling your production or something. Um,
1: but hmm. the other thing too that if Fiona Conroy made a good. Um, a Good po- point when she spoke at Abares and came on our podcast as well.
2: Around that, was that well, Matt, if stop, you're stop plugging your podcast and somehow you, well, you've mentioned
1: rude. it, you've mentioned it a few times. Don't
2: um, let the man speak, Andrew.
0: Let the
1: man speak. He can edit it out, he can edit it out anyway. He's a professional, oh, not like oh, us. Yeah, I was, um, oh, you,
0: you missed the bit where I was talking to myself for about five minutes at the start.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, the uh. She was saying that an efficient, if you're being an efficient farmer in terms of whatever you're you're doing, um, in that process of becoming more efficient, whether it's livestock, grains, or whatever you're actually producing as a product, you're actually part of being efficient. Farmer is actually taking into account things like your your environmental or your carbon footprint, because the more you you more focus on that, you actually make yourself more and more efficient anyway. So it's actually, it makes sense long-term to do that. It's just a matter of getting your head around how you approach it and not being, not being um, bent over by some kind of a dodgy player in the game in the process.
2: Here's another one. Yeah. Let's say you're producing a check-in. Yeah. And you produce that check-in free range. I don't know how many months it takes to create a check-in free range. But also you're gonna have more losses because of foxes and eagles and whatnot you create it in a barn i'm not, I'm not talking caged eggs or anything or caged birds I'm talking barn raised which plenty of space to roam and pick each other to death or whatever they do um acting act their natural habitat to bully each other <laughs> yeah but but that's the thing like, they're going to produce that kilo of protein quicker and more efficiently and use less feed so that's where i see that they're producing less emissions because they're producing a quicker, they're getting to they get to weight quicker with less wastage. So I guess that's the argument, Matt, Again, mm. yeah, you get your chicks yeah. for
0: free. You're being more efficient. <laughs> Second time to die, Andrew.
2: <laughs> I think it's the third one anyway. But you got your money for nothing, but your chicks for free. So anyway, um, I think that's. Uh, A
0: segue. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell you how to run your podcast. No, no. no, no. So, yeah, no, no. I'm I'm with you there. Uh, It's yeah. I just I can't see either of those particularly biodiversity ever getting anywhere. And yes, incredibly sceptical about carbon markets and mainly the accumulators that are in it. But what about something that is a bit more mainstream and going back to grains? IS double C and these other certification traceability programs, uh, MLA's got the, I can't think of the name of it, but I fill it out every three years.
2: Yeah. So you've got the right yeah. person um, on the podcast here because I was a certified quality auditor in the UK. I've got my ISO 9001 certification somewhere. Um, so in the, in the UK, So I was working in the grains industry in the late 2000s to 2010. So I don't know, early 2000s to 2010, a long time ago. And at that time, I worked in animal feed, so we were importing grains and byproducts to then sell to the feed mills. We would get audited on probably a fortnightly to monthly basis for various different things, uh, You know, certified non-GM, Marks and Spencer's, uh, ISO task, you cast uh, so many of them, yeah, and it was just a real, just a normal thing. So, like, say for instance, I was, I also was responsible for trucking. Say, I wanted to, I find a new trucking company. I said, right, I wanna, I want you to move some stuff for me from A to B, and then the first thing I always had to do was get their quality certification, and put it on file. Say, I've got their certification, so we can use them. When I came to Australia, I started working in the grains industry in West Australia, wanted to use a trucking company, and then I asked the guy, oh, can you send us for your quality certification? Just because just, it was just a natural thing to ask for. And he's like, what are you talking about? We don't have that. <laughs> like, what's that? And then I was just like dumbfounded that you just don't have that here. And it's 2023, so we're talking 13 years, 13 and a half years later, and nothing has really changed. And so the ISCC is one thing. The ICC, when did it come out? I remember talking about that in 2003. So 2003, uh, the whole reason it came out was really simple, three sentences, basically. It was all set up, and it's evolved into a bit of a monster, I think. So it was all set up for the Renewable Energy Directive, RED, in Europe. The reason it was set up was because we are importing a lot of things like canola, palm, and whatever else. The company I work for imported shed loads of palm to be burnt in power stations. But what they were trying to say was the European government was saying, right, we don't want to be just basically transferring our emissions overseas. So we don't want to be saying, right, yeah, okay, we're going to get palm, and that's going to be good for the environment because we're using this as renewable and blah, blah, blah. But we don't want them cutting down the rainforest." Draw that. So the whole idea was basically, I think it was, they picked a date, I think it was 2007. The land must have been cleared prior to 2007. And it can't, and it basically can't have been on peatland, a uh, forested area, and something else. So it's pretty much, they're pretty simple things. Really easy to, and then so they needed a certification scheme to make sure that farmers were able to adhere to that. And so ISCC and 2BVS were well, the two organisations. And Bear in mind they're private entities; they're not government. These aren't government no. schemes. No, no. These are private entities creating a scheme to adhere to a government set, uh, government requirement. So, at the time when it came out, I sort of the company I was working for advocated for us to use 2BS because 2BS basically said we only care about those three lines. Wasn't cleared, wasn't peat, wasn't forest, blah, 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 blah. It's pretty simple. So what you could do with that is as an auditor, I I could get this farmer, like I could say, Martin, show me where your field is. And then I can go to Google Earth. And on Google Earth, if you've got the pro package, you can scroll back through the years. And I can look at the paddock and say, well, that was a paddock in 2004. So it clearly wasn't a forest or a rainforest in 2007. So I can... Tick it off, pretty simple, and the other one was ISCC. But what ISCC wanted to do was create an all-encompassing certification scheme. So they wanted things like you're not using slave labor, you're not using children, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, blah blah. blah. So it was, I think at that time it was like forty questions. It's probably more like a hundred questions now.
0: And it's been a while since I've done a little self audit on myself, and what was it, three years ago, when I really went through it in detail, I was not going to stack up well.
2: Well, I, <laughs> the, the, when I looked at it back at that time, it took, because I haven't really looked at it in close detail for a long time, but when I looked at it in 2013, 2014, my view was that the ISCC was a good scheme for buying stuff out of Indonesia or developing countries, where you can use this as a scheme to do more. But then my view was with 2BVS, that does what it needs for the renewable energy directive, but we don't need, like, to like to prove we don't use slaves. Yeah, well, Australia runs under the law, so we have legislation that says we can't use slaves. So of course, if I'm getting audited, I'm not going to say, "Oh, damn, you got me. I am using slaves." Ah, oh, shit. You're just going to lie and say you aren't you? them. So, like, I was just under the belief that they should have said, if the ISSC went through like all of the requirements and said, okay, Australian legislation covers that. Australian legislation covers that. So, you clearly, as a business, you have to adhere to those legislation. The child labor is probably an issue in a lot of Australian farms in reality with people coming home at Christmas and whatnot. That's
0: just, that's just the way things are. Good old yeah, days.
2: But this is where I said I said, I said, I said, you're telling me that doesn't happen on UK farms though? Eh? No, of
0: course not. Yeah, I, I definitely haven't seen kids on tractors in the UK on Twitter. No, no, we use the Polish
1: labor. Uh, they're just they just they're, they don't need to actually produce anything because they get subsidized
2: for everything, so yeah. they, just take, they just take the payment after the event. But this <laughs> but this is where I sort of see that the ICC and all that kind of stuff it's it's a necessary evil because to get into that renewable energy market, we need to have access to some form of scheme Mm-hmm. whether ISCC is the right one. At the time, I wrote an article. I got in trouble for it. I did an article for the Farm Weekly and I put it up on Twitter a couple of months ago because I found it in a drawer. And it was all about how I was bagging the SCC schemes. This was 2013. And um, I got in trouble for that from my bosses at the time. Um, but anyway, who, who'd have thought? <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the reality though is that they are necessary evil if you want to get canola into the renewable markets in Europe, and in... It's, and it's
1: pro- it's probably it's probably not going to it's going to get more and more complex, right? You're going to have to hmm. you have to jump over more and more hurdles as you go and demonstrate you're jumping over them
2: through evidence. And that's the it's... thing; it's all about evidence-based sort of activities. And Europe is we're more reliant on Europe for canola than we are China for barley. And so, in in terms of in terms of a destination, right? In terms a destination. Yeah. And so, like I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, we should just scrap the ICC and create our own Australian one." Well, that's cool. That sounds good in principle, but it still has to meet the requirements of what the European customer wants. So we can't just say, and, like yeah. we can oh, we we want to be able to use slave labor,' so we're going to include that in our scheme." Well, European says, "Well, no chance, mate." So we just yeah. got to be careful that we don't think we can do something just for the sake of doing it when. But there's something there's something that could be changed to make it more easier.
0: Well, yeah, I, I've heard that argument too, and I don't want to scrap the ISCC and create our own thing because then you've got to get that thing accepted
2: wherever it's going. But, but maybe, then... but maybe this is where there needs to be a change to the. I, I'm not a fan of paperwork. I'm not a fan like it's, But the UK, has no, I, know, been... I
1: know that I know that it gets me to do it all. <laughs>
2: But speaking of which I'll talk to you about later. Um but, <laughs> but the like if you gave this ISCC scheme to a UK farmer, they would bat an island and say, Yep, no worries hmm. done because they're used to it. They've been doing it for so long. Australia hasn't had to do that. Maybe the pork industry, we have to do that. Yeah, we had to do. It. Well,
1: that was once a, once a year accreditation. Yeah, type but, audit. What,
2: but but if somebody if somebody else came in and said we need to do, and like we got we got audited for Coles and RSPCA, is that right?
1: Oh, it was Coles. Yeah, Coles as well. Yeah.
2: If we then got audited the next week by Aldi, Aldi said, "Yeah, audio. Be, yeah, no worries, mate. Come in." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, when I was but,
0: working in the wrapping space, the veggie growers got hit with that all the time by yeah. Coles and Woolies.
2: So but- maybe we just need to get used to more.
0: But here's the thing, like, you know, my, my knowledge of UK farming is Twitter and Clarkson's farm. Yeah. Um you know, both trustworthy sources That's of information. It. Um Clarkson had to sit down and, and do some something where he had to enter all his crops into the UK database separate to Red Tractor. Yep. Um, whereas my understanding is if you like sort of like ISCC, if you you know, if you're not signed up for Red Tractor, you can't sell your stuff. Uh, yeah, or so. or LPA yes, LPA accreditation it's it's voluntary but good luck selling your product yep. if you don't have it yeah 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 um, but again when you know Clarkson went through and put in those uh, all those uh, you know his cropping figures and what he'd used here and there there was an eighty thousand pound check for him at the end of that like
2: that's the difference
0: that's we don't get that.
2: That's yeah. But you you look at it from a point of view of like us as a grain merchant importing into the UK, we didn't get paid any money for doing any of the cost certifications, but nobody would buy from us. And that was just it was just and then it's kind of what I said about the carbon markets to an extent. It's just going to become the cost of doing business. Like how like here's here's the thing, yeah. Here's the thing. Like as a farmer, yeah, like as as Probably don't speak to as many farmers as I used to when I was purchasing grain, yeah? A lot of farmers in Australia still spend most of their time doing manual work. Yeah. work Working on the farm, yeah?
0: Yeah.
2: In the UK, I think that's less common. And that the farm owner will spend a lot more time in the office than on as the a, tools. As, as, a, as a manager type thing, right? As opposed to on the tools, and that's where I think the difference is. Like farmers in the UK, it'd be interesting. I've not spoken to many UK farmers in a while either. But it'd be interesting to see like what percentage of time is spent in the office versus the header, for instance. Yeah, when
1: you're running, you know, five sheep and cropping half a hectare, it's I mean, you're gonna fill yeah. in your
2: days.
0: You can only go to so many shoots and fly fishing yeah. events. And, and...
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: You can right, only you you really
2: Hoover your Range Rover twice yeah. a day. <laughs> But, they, you know, I just like I said, it's a, I've said it's a necessary evil, yeah? But it is just one of those things. It's, it's going to be the cost of doing business. Farmers have got to get used to it because there will be more and more of it. And if you think the ICC is bad, wait till you do biodiversity or carbon.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's the the terror at the back of my mind.
2: So Because
0: um, you don't get into farming to become an auditor.
2: Well it sucks to suck you just got to do what you got to do and i think that's the way it's going to get forced upon the industry what we're going to do is find a way of doing it easier and more efficiently and training people to do it because it's not like one of the things with the icc is again it's a bit like the carbon markets i remember people saying oh just take a box and it's fine nobody's going to audit you It's money for nothing it's like I don't know what the premium is. It ranges obviously. Sometimes it's been two dollars. Sometimes it's just the price. Yeah, oh, so I like bring up the price sheet. But maybe they can maybe they can work with AI
1: to create some AI
2: inspired auditing tool. Well, but but the yeah. thing is, it wasn't money for jam because when, like you say, Martin, if you were to audit yourself, would you pass? No. And if you didn't pass, you got to pay that back plus extra, possibly. I don't know. Necessary evil. Let's see.
0: I can't even see a price that uh, splits is double C canola from regular canola here at the moment. I think
2: it's just the price most of the time now. I've got a feeling it might be. Yeah, so it's just the cost of doing business. Sign here, sign up, and forever hold your breath. Chances of getting audited though are still slim. But but what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying, Andrew? Not legal advice. Not legal. (laughs) No chances. No, I'm just saying chances of getting audited are slim. However, somebody does have to get audited.
0: There is someone who still has to be dragged in front
2: of the Bailey to pull
0: everyone else into line. Exactly.
2: So, I, I just think you should people should just get used to doing it, and then it'll become less and less onerous. And to be honest, this. From doing those quality schemes, there can be benefits in terms of just understanding your business better and keeping track of stuff.
0: There's going to be an be an element of just of creep there. It's just another one, you know. It's just just a few extra boxes while you're doing this, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, then you know it starts with I double I double C, then the carbon, then the biodiversity, and then the I don't know next. Thing whatever what, whatever is exactly cultural heritage. Jeez, we're not going to that one, are we? No, no. no let's <laughs> let's let's pull up there.
2: But it's no. I think it's yeah. What what do you like when you think about it? Yeah, from you from your point of view, yeah. Like you you've got a kind of a mixed background, yeah. So you work yeah as an agro. Uh, you, you're on a farm, like contractor.
0: What, yeah, contract- do a few things.
2: But what is it you enjoy about it? If you, like, if you, like
0: if I you honestly do... enjoy just just being on the tools. Like, yeah, yeah,
2: and I reckon most of like that.
0: Yeah, I as I said, you don't get into farming to become an auditor
2: or, an, or accountant. an accountant, you know, or a grain marketer. So, and that's that's where I think, yeah, you're right, Matt. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to your facetious comment. What about, what? about AI?
1: Yeah, I well, know. I'm being serious. Like, you got you get a lot of these. Kind of startup tech people that are trying to, you know, make something easier or do something better, blah blah. then why don't they tackle some of these things that are real bugbears, right? And it's something that's a it's a process driven thing. So why why couldn't you build methods to make your job easier to keep well, track of all these auditing requirements?
2: Well, like why like your John, De- John John Deere header, yeah,
1: it's farting, farting around re- reinventing something else.
2: Well, why can't that John Deere header put all its chemical usage? Or- whatever, whatever, head up at the tractor, all your implements, it's all logged anyway somewhere. Yeah, it is. is, is
0: Provided you fill it out, it is.
2: Yeah, but all this stuff is in the ether. It's all kicking around somewhere on a farm. It's collecting it all together. Okay, 20 years ago, when it's all on paper, it's more difficult, but 2023, the audit process should be improved. Or it should be easier for a farmer to meet the requirements of the audit process. We should get an ISCC Oh no, I, should, I shouldn't say. I was going to say we should get an ICC auditor on the podcast, but I, should, I shouldn't. I should talk about our an podcast. On the
0: podcast.
2: It's probably more likely,
0: but uh, yeah,
2: I'm not sure. Well, I, uh, just do it. That's all I can say. Just get used to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, because yeah, it's it seems to be the ones in grains, and this—I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that? But LPA. That's not too onerous. It's what's the LPA one? Three years. That's the cow one, okay. or we'll probably sheep. Yeah, as like well. you
1: do MLA, MLA. Yeah, yeah no, it's just the red meat one. I think for the last of the producer accreditation or something like that. So what do you have to do? Um, for that, oh, it's mainly like a ticker box thing, really. And yeah.
0: pretty much yeah. is watch these videos, ticker box. Well, There's RWS An- answer,
1: answer, these, answer these questions at the end, and you got yeah, to get a was... certain pa- pass pass rate on the accuracy on the questions, or
2: What was the mulesing one as well? Like you just, you can. I'm not saying it's what happens, I'm just saying what I've heard. Oh,
1: you mean mean the one where they say that they just say that they tick the box saying we're non mules? We're non mules, but I don't
2: don't think there's a very stringent auditing process. (laughs) There
1: we go. Martin's (laughs) going to get a
2: whole (laughs) heap of complaints from from wool producers. Not our podcast. Hmm? (laughs) Just put a forward link in. (laughs) Oh, there's there's one thing I don't know if you're going to raise it, Martin. On the podcast yep. About, yep. Char- about the charity boxing
0: charity box. oh the- <laughs> i think you just want to punch me
2: because 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 matt and i have been wanting to do a charity boxing for how long that been? Mm. Two no. years, since, since we met each other <laughs> uh, so. no the wanting to box each other came first then we decided to turn it into a charity <laughs> and 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 martin volunteered to do it like he was actually the first yeah. one i think he was i can't i can't remember and this might not be 100 percent accurate but i think martin requested to do about?
0: I think, yeah, I think you're conflating some things and twisting some things, but I remember there being a <laughs> thread on Facebook.
2: I think, no, what? Jeez, it's raining outside again. Uh, no, one One day, one day we'll get it. Matt, we just need to find some willing participants. Uh, well, then, what's, that, just,
0: what's that pub called in Canberra that everyone, all the young people go to? Mooseheads, is that it? Mooseheads? It's and... that, probably a traditional boxing ground in Canberra.
2: I, I was actually thinking the other day, I was talking to a friend about it, yeah? I was thinking, and this is non-agricultural, I was thinking about getting a side gig. I, 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 actually, it was at my boxing gym's Christmas night out, Me and a couple of guys were talking, why don't we just quit the gym and just get a job as a bouncer? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well... We pay, what do you pay, like $65 a week to go to the gym? You become a bouncer and you get paid $35 an hour and you still get to do the boxing. Yeah. So uh, being an analyst doesn't pay well, so we've got to think of side gigs.
0: Or do they pay in black pudding? That's the real question.
2: Mm. No, they Sometimes they do. So tell, tell us what your podcast, man. Uh, it
0: yeah, that no, going all right. Just basically... Angry man rants about agronomy. Normally, um,
2: so this no, is a bit no, different. Now no, you got three angry men.
0: Yeah, yeah, and one trying to fight me. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: um, but we are, I mean, that's we are looking for people to step forward and 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 put their hand up for you know. It has to be just a fairly simple three round. You know, we need a few few bouts to make it work. Yeah. So, you know, so if you. anyone's interested, so, so the, the calls
2: out there.
0: Girls
1: out there, yeah. Has, we,
2: we, need, we we do have to adhere to weight classes, so
1: yeah, that's why that's why Andrew and I can't really fight each other. It's a little bit unfair he's <laughs> he's about thirteen years younger than me or something. Age, like that. age doesn't matter; it's the weight. I'm about matter. I'm about
2: three hundred kilos heavier, so
0: yeah, I am up close to your weight class,
2: Matt. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. So right.
0: well, we're getting very silly. So market tips for the coming year.
2: Oh here we go I'm gonna I, I do you want me to fence it like every other like, this is the time of year yeah I will put out I was I was gonna talk to, this is Matt I was gonna talk to about this later but in the new mm. year we'll probably put some articles out our view for the coming year what to look at yeah everyone's doing them just now and they're all so vanilla because everyone's scared to say anything but it's but in the same time it's very hard to know what's gonna happen especially in the current environment so I'll go grains in fact, do you want me to do livestock? And you do grains, but
1: no, no, up no, bit? no, be- no, because grains is a pain in the ass. Because who knows what Putin's going to do next?
2: Well, there you go. <laughs>
0: You're still there, though. That's
2: <laughs> so, so, so. I think, like, we you can you can copy and paste this for the next two years. Yeah, next twenty years, next hundred years, weather. Always going to be weather, whether it's the weather in the US, Europe, or Australia, or well, Black Sea. That's what's going to impact the market more than anything else so we have no idea what the world's going to do so straight away that's the biggest factor you've got no control over and you have no knowledge of what it's going to be like we can start to get an inkling in march we can see what it's like in europe we can see what it's like in canada whatever else but at the moment no idea second one is the politics putin in his invasion of ukraine is still going on so it will be two years In a couple of months' time. I don't think that's going to end anytime soon, but I do get concerned that you know we will see a sort of decrease in the volume getting produced there because farmers are struggling to access to chemicals, fuel, fertilizer, and finance. The other one is the global economy. Is I do think we'll see a slowdown in the global economy. I think we'll see a reduction in demand for fuel. And that has an impact on things like corn, soybeans. Then that flows through as a primary sort of commodities. Then that flows through to wheat, then through to barley, and also into canola. So I think we've got risks there. But I think overall, I'd still say we're in a pretty healthy environment. And I was talking this morning to Nicola Bell from the Weekly Times. Canola, everyone's saying canola is a terrible price, 600 to $700 a ton, depending on where you are in the country. Historically, you know, prior to about 2019, if I offered somebody seven hundred dollars a ton or six hundred fifty dollars a ton, i would have bit of my hand off.
0: I oh, yeah, that's all right, yeah.
2: But we're just used to the last two years we had a thousand dollars a ton. But everyone got into that sort of phase of thinking it's the new norm; it can't fall down. And I was like, as soon as it hit, as soon as the market rises like that, I'm like, we're going to have a crash eventually because it always corrects itself. And. I still think that prices are pretty strong. We look at prices for all grains. Oats are very good. Lupins are very good. All these grains are pretty high the price. I don't see us really dropping massively unless we have some major big crops around the world. And I'm still curious to see what happens with Australian well because I still think even though it's been dry in New South Wales in parts, it's still not the dry that we probably should have had by now.
0: No, and they... I don't know if you checked the forecast, but they are predicting some crack and rain, um, which will coming start down. setting us up. So, yeah. Australia,
2: Australia's a wet country now. You're normal. You're normal. No, we, we rainforests in orange. Just wait till they hit Canberra.
0: No, that's my gut as well. I, th- I think Putin being in Ukraine, pulling all that area out of production, Mm. And whatever is in production significantly reducing it. I think prices have to stay relatively strong yeah. unless there's bumper crops on every continent.
2: And I do think if you actually look at it from a point of view of stocks around the world, stocks are reasonably healthy unless you look at the top eight exporters and they're the lowest since over a decade. So I think it only takes one or two of those eight to have a major issue and we start to see a bit of a gradual creep up, but yeah, we'll just see. That's all we can do. I think the main thing that I always say to farmers is this, you can't really control that kind of stuff. I'd be looking for the next couple of months. Well, what is the DAP price? What is the MAP price? Start thinking about my fuel, trying to minimize those costs, and then worry about the price later on. Matt, livestock. Um.
1: I think it's the same narrative I've been, I mean, we, we went through this this correction this year for sheep and cattle um, that overcorrected in my view and probably for the last, at least the last two months, maybe three, I've been saying it's undervalued significantly and it shouldn't be where it was. Obviously with a bit of rain now and just people readjusting
0: uh, you
1: know, to, to the reality of what's in front of them rather than what they were fearing. Uh, in terms of in, what's in the paddock, we've seen this this kind of rally now and, and, and a bit of a correction. I, I think we're still at a stage, broadly with with cattle and sheep pricing that, that it's still a, a fraction undervalued. So I think there's still some more upside to get it back to what's maybe fair value. Um, you know, I think we're probably likely to see that in the normal season in, into next year, unless we unless we flick back into a, a redeveloping El Nino and, and another shocking dry season through winter next year. I think we will see. A bit more of the market climbing into that, you know, autumn winter period, like a normal seasonal move. Um, I don't think we'll see the prices we saw the last few years instead of those those really crazy peaks. But I think we're going to see back to, you know, more kind of long term average deflated levels. Um, something like a, you know, mid to low three hundreds as an average price for the heavy steer in terms of live weight price, and probably trade lamb up to, you know, six fifty seven hundred ish as an average for the for the for the year, but. Um, yeah, that, that's that's what I'm thinking. A bit more of a normal season. The only caveat would be if we do flick back to a dry, uh, if the if the El Nino reforms. So I'd be looking. I'd be looking closely at what the bureau's saying as we lead into the autumn break and what their what their language is. Not just I guess locally, but also some of the other forecasting, uh, you know, observations from overseas. Um, you know, there's, there's some good ones there as well, like the, the North American ones. That, uh, that give a bit of an indication as to what's happening with that broader climate, you know, the, the, the global climate and that Enso, El Niño, La Niña pattern. Um, so, yeah, for as long as we don't go dry again significantly, I think, you know, we're back to more normal normal seasonal movement and... Um, And then the caveat would be if we do go drier and we we go into a much more pronounced downturn in terms of destocking of cattle and sheep, because I know we had a bit of a reduction this year, but we're not really at the levels that we would see through a proper drought if we got, you know, You're talking another 2 million head of cattle, you know, and maybe another 5 million head of sheep and lamb being processed from these current increased levels if we were in a drought phase. And I just don't think the processing sector is geared up to cope with that just yet. We already saw this year when they had a little bit too many come through at the wrong times. uh, That's what made the price react so adversely. Um, And I think we, we need to seriously get our shit together regarding Processing capacity, so that when we do get the next drought, because there will be one that will come uh, at some stage, we need to be able to process them without having farmers getting getting hammered on the price.
0: That mainly comes down to a labour issue, then, doesn't it?
1: Labour and accommodation are the two real, real. Um, you know, doesn't matter where you are. Labour and accommodation for the excess labour is is what's holding that up. It's not. It's not so much the the inf- the infrastructure could still do with some. You know improvements and, and even, you know, going down that that robotic technology pathway, there's a lot of processes that it, most of the processes I speak to it, uh, if they can expand, they're, they're, they're trying to. Uh, um, but it is yeah, it's really large,
0: Lost him? Have you lost him, Andrew? Yeah, I've lost
1: him a bit. Is <laughs> what's the biggest issue, and, and and housing, public housing, have been waiting for four or five years to get something.
2: To you know, you,
1: you got me. Yeah, yeah. back now. We,
2: yeah. we lost a bit, but I think when that. Listen, so you know, Martin. Sometimes the audio will still come clearly on the recording. All oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Well, it just does. It does, was, tra- it does transmit, but.
1: What, what I was saying on the housing front was just that. Yeah, the, the public housing is an issue already, not just housing for abattoir workers. So, you know, how long is it going to take the government of any type to get public housing sorted out before they can have housing available for for workers that are coming in on some form of a of a visa system to, to work in abattoirs? It's 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 a long term issue. They've got to get sorted fairly quickly.
0: That's fun, no short fix there.
2: Easy. Well, that's that.
0: No, that's good. Well, thanks for coming on, fellas. It's uh, it's nice to have some podcasting royalty on here. Well,
2: oh, it's nice! It's nice to finally be invited onto a podcast. I never get invited to these type of things. So, I don't I mean, believe it's it. It's very rare that we're on the other side of it. Mm. And and if, did we did we behave, Martin? Oh, well, I mean, you
0: wanted to fight, me, but you know, I
2: didn't want to fight. Like,
0: like, I, I evoked that response from people.
2: I was just, I was just off. I was just trying to do something for charity. That's all. That's what, That's what we're just trying to
1: help. Just trying to help. Raise some money for a, for a good
2: charity. Exactly. Right all. Uh,
0: yeah. Thanks, fellas. That was yeah. uh that was good.
2: No worries. Let's see when you've got next one. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank <you. laughs>